Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to What Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the podcast equivalent of an Armand One screamer. I'm Tom Reed and tonight I'm joined by Andy Bodfish, Martin Maloney and Ian Brunt. How are you doing guys? You okay? Yep. Good stuff. Back in lockdown. We started this podcast in lockdown. God knows how many episodes ago and we're still in lockdown. It's just uh, some science fiction alternative reality. Um, on that bombshell, Andy, have you got a football moment of the week? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, um, uh, we're just talking about Germany off air there for a moment, weren't we? And yeah, my football yeah. moment of the week comes from uh, Germany. It's obviously been Cup week. Um, maybe others will um, pick up the FA Cup third round baton. Always a good, good weekend in the season. But yeah, there was quite an eye-catching result from Germany last night, I think, wasn't it? Um, Bayern Munich getting knocked out of the DFB Pokal. On um, on penalties by second tier opposition, Holstein Kiel, um, which mm. just sounds like the name of a perfect beer that you know you order at the start of an away day somewhere in Germany. Uh, I just think it's a terrific name. But yeah, they got uh, yeah they got knocked out last night. Earliest they've been knocked out in the cup for twenty years. Um, they've won the cup for the last two years. And it's just a nice reminder that things like that can still happen in um, largely uncompetitive competitions as you get in Germany. I mean, Bayern have won the the league for the last eight years now and um, five trophies last season. And it may be like putting up an umbrella in a hurricane, but, you know, a second tier opposition knocking them out of the cup in the second round is um, it just restores your faith a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think. Holstein Kiel have got a fan who of cobblers who supports them as well. I'm sure I've seen that on social media somewhere. So if you uh, do support both, give us a shout. Is Kiel in north of Germany? I think it is. Kiel's in Schleswig-Holstein, um, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a port, isn't it? It's up up the top. Andy, can you just say Schleswig-Holstein again, please? It's no. <laughs> you did sound like a sort of middle-ranking uh, SS officer reporting. <laughs> For the latest I, like to, I like to slip into that, guys, now and again. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, a lot of English guys do in the fancy dress. <laughs> but yeah, that's always a good story from Germany. But Germany's got a brilliant system of football. I think we're all fans of 50 plus one and everything that goes on in Germany. But um, Bayern's 
dominance is is not the greatest. So for them to lose against um, yeah, it's just a nice nice little moment in amidst you know this the, the juggernaut of the the super clubs just pummeling everyone. I mean PSG won the Trophy des Champions last night in France for the eighth year in a row. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino getting his first trophy in his third game for PSG. <laughs> Um, wow. His first ever managerial trophy, three matches into his um, PSG career. Um, so you know they're winning again, Bayern just plundering everyone again, and um, yeah, it was just just a, a nice, a nice little, nice little check check and balance on power, you know. Yeah, we like a bit of that. I used to go and watch Paris Saint Germain quite a few years ago, actually, probably around the time when you were covering them on Euro goals and stuff like that. They it, they used to be a completely unfashionable side. It, yeah, when, when, I, when I first moved over there, I saw a bit of them in my first season. It was probably talking 20 years ago now. And they, they narrowly avoided relegation, I think, 2001, mm. 2002, when Pochettino was actually playing for them. Um, and, yeah, slowly but surely, they, you know, <laughs> are built up to where they are now. They're, they're equivalent of Russian and Diamonds, really, weren't they? So <laughs> it's like home, home for you going over there. That's exactly right, though, yeah. The upstarts. You've got the Qataris, you've got Max Griggs. They're just two pieces. You've got your Doc Martins, you've got the oil lads. <laughs> I used to go when I used to go over there, um it was quite, it was a really quite a exciting ground to go to, the Parc de France. You've been there oh, yourself. It's yeah, it's it's in you know, a lot of Paris is pretty rough, isn't it, when you go out of the uh, glitzy in a in a you know, in a arrondissement, you go out, you know, towards the periphery or whatever it's called. It's it's pretty rough. And um, I went to a game v Bordeaux, I think it was, and it was the ultras yep. celebration. It was a su- supras or toy if you're into your ultra scene. Yeah, the ultra was. Yeah, is there? It was their anniversary, but there used to be like basically a war going on between the yeah. Boulogne boys who are very right wing yep. and the supras or toy because Paris has got a lot of immigrant. Um, culture and stuff they, they used to go in opposite ends basically these right wing and you know these immigrant fans and after the game they used to meet up and just basically i think it was in deaths and stuff so it got very very hairy but as an as a neutral it was the most amazing spectacle to see the displays of the super resort toy it was probably the best one of the best things i've ever seen absolutely amazing also, but... also you probably remember this as well i mean we've all been to see football in europe certainly france spain certainly <laughs> yep. if you go and watch football in a french or spanish ground you're never more than probably two seats away from a from a massive spliff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, used to, I, used, I used to go, not always working. Used to go to PSG quite a bit, and yeah, you just sit and sit and uh, in the backdraft of someone's massive cone, no matter where you sat in the ground, and you know, it's just <laughs> you know, just slightly different atmosphere and attitude to that whole scene. <laughs> to, to be fair, the French French. Fan scene is pretty cool, and I recommend going to watch the game. Maybe not at PSG, which has gone a bit gentrified now, but there's loads of other ones. Um, we're digressing here. Let's get on to let's go. Let's move on to you now, Martin. How are you doing, mate? You're keeping the country supplied with halloumi and lemongrass, are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, plenty, plenty, of, plenty of full shelves at the, na- the nation's uh, biggest <laughs> um, grocer. So uh, yeah, um, yeah. Whatever else goes wrong with the pandemic, I think our um, <laughs> this our industry is um. Doing its doing its bit, which is which is good. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. Um, Martin, have you got a football moment of the week, buddy? Yeah, and I, I, I'm probably going to feel a bit like a like a broken record again. But once again, 
I think it's football stepping up or one footballer stepping up on the really important stuff, and it's Marcus Rashford. Yep. Um, yep. You know, we've got an, an inept government delivering, you know, fairly haphazard response to the pandemic and all the associated kind of costs of it to people. And, you know, with a couple of tweets, a phone call, Marks Rashford gets them a change course yet again on free school meals. Uh, puts it, if I'm honest, puts the lead of our opposition to shame. Um, he is absolute class. I was just looking, um, you know, there's not many more nasty rivalries in English football than Liverpool and Man U. And I see Liverpool fans are trying to get a Marcus Rashford banner in their end for their game this weekend. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Now, that, that says it all. Um, super, super impressed with him. Um, be great if if more footballers did it. Be great if politicians did their job. Yeah, that's the only thing I would say about the Rashford thing is, well, on the podcast we're all in full support of what he's doing, and he's he's making points and he's making change. But then he, he, when he steps back, it falls back, or there's something else uncovered, and he has to come back and do stuff. Did you see the the photos of the the free school meals uh, were being provided and what was actually being provided for basically outsourced you know privatized companies? I'd rather eat a uh, Tony Ansel burger back at the county ground than eat that the stuff that's given to them yeah. poor kids. It's horrendous, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And it's but it's it's one of those we can. It sometimes takes someone to put their head above the parapet, and when you've got that kind of profile, yeah. it's using it for good, and that that's wonderful to see. That was a that was a good one, Martin. And we always like to support Marcus yeah. Rashford for what he's doing because let's face it, as we said before, if you can't feed your kids properly in a so-called first world country, you know what are, what are we actually doing? So yeah. what are, what are governments for if not for um, looking after society? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. We'll do we'll do a political special question time thing in a few weeks. Get David Buchanan on as another guest. Uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on, let's go to you, Ian. How are you doing, buddy? Are you uh, keeping sane in this uh, lockdown? Yeah. And do you know what, Tom? The other day I had my um, my legally allowed exercise, and uh, do you know what? Where I went past Chile Village. <laughs> went near there. You believe it. Um, you know, I've had a few of these uh, football moments of the week saved up. So th- some of these are a little bit dated, but I think it's important we do sort of focus on non-league because you know non-league clubs are so important. It was good to see Marine this week, wasn't it? Like this, obviously the FA Cup's been different, and normally for them a home tie against Spurs would have been amazing. But I think they still managed to make it feel special, didn't they? The the virtual tickets they sold, they sold absolutely loads, and the Spurs fans got involved, didn't they? And I thought that was great. All the people standing at the bottom of their back gardens watching the game. I thought that was, it did, mate. I was I always love non-league grounds like that where you can see people's houses. So I was I was loving watching that on, you know, primetime BBC. But there was also a couple of other non-league headlines that caught my eye over the festive period. Sorry, I know the decorations are down now, but I thought I've got to mention this. There was one game, I can't remember the club, but um, it was obviously before it was in one of the tiers where non-league football at that level was allowed. The game was stopped because a spectator failed to control their Alsatian. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that one. <laughs> and the, the the best one was uh, I can't get the name wrong. It's St. Blazy, uh, a Cornish non-league team. Did you guys see this one? They had oh. um, they had an illegal. Um, 
an illegal Christmas party, it, you know, broke the lockdown rules, whatever tier they were in, don't know what tier Cornwall was in uh, at Christmas. Um, they, they hired an Airbnb, all got together, 20 of them, right? And all had, a, you know, an illicit party. And do you know who grassed them up to the authorities? Did you guys see this? No. Les Dennis. Les Dennis. Yeah, now you come to mention it, yeah. Of all people, there's Dennis and his wife looking out their window over the road. He's in Plymouth and going like, what's going on here in that Airbnb? That shouldn't be allowed. So, yeah, imagine having your illicit lockdown Christmas party ruined by Les Dennis being grassed up (laughs) the authority. So... That was my that's my football moment of 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 you know the last four weeks. We asked a hundred people what the worst reason for being grassed up to the police was. <laughs> Twenty people. Number, <laughs> number, uh-uh. number one. Number one is uh, yeah, having an Airbnb party. But yeah, yeah. That's, that just that just shows you the the cornucopia of life in non-league at the moment. Probably. Uh, you know, the Marine game as well was just so good to watch. And did anyone watch, um, not that they're non-league, but I was quite, uh, I quite enjoyed watching um, Crawley. Crawley game was quite good as well. Yeah. Watch anyone watch that one? Yeah. I don't, game, yeah. I don't, what's going on with the Towie guy at Crawley? Like, why have they done that? Because, like, is it just publicity? Because obviously they're not going to sell any tickets at the moment. I don't imagine that many Towie fans are going to subscribe to iFollow. He's not obviously <laughs> going to be in peak physical condition. I just, I don't get it. Like, oh, good luck to him. You know, don't blame him. I, I wanna, you know, we all want to play football, but he yeah. did. I don't know. He did. He did play non-league, didn't he? At decent he did. level. Yeah. I played conference, yeah. uh, conference prem, whatever. Top level. Yeah. Uh, did. Didn't he play for Arsenal? He might even have played for Arsenal and Tottenham. Youth as well. I think you know he did actually play. I think. Yeah. By the way, it sounds like I'm defending him. Um, I'm not. It's an absolute circus, and I agree with Ian. But I think he did actually play, didn't it? Do you remember? I mean, there's no like, such thing as bad publicity, though, is there? You know, it's kind of all wrapped up in that, isn't it? For, for everyone. Do you remember when Ryan Amu played for the Cobblers? Um, because um, yeah. he was going up with Jack Goody, wasn't he? And she she was actually in the crowd at a, a Cobbler. Well, I say the crowd. She was actually in the in six fields for a cobbler's reserve game when he was playing. Isn't that incredible? Because I think she's, I, I mentioned her because I think she was mates with Mark before he was, um, you know, because they, they all mix in the same circles, don't they? Before he was in Tower, before he was famous, I think he was mates with Jay Goody and one of her exes, not not Ryan. But yeah, Ryan and Moo, I remember his debut. He didn't have the debut for us, did he? He was, he was absolutely shocking. Didn't he get sent off? Quite early on, got, it was, got sent off at Shrewsbury, I think, in a, a bit of a very scene. early, very early appearance, wasn't it? He had a, he, he didn't, yeah, he didn't settle in the best. He was quite promising at one point, but yeah. The thing, the thing that you have to say about Mark, right? I mean, it is quite impressive on one level that you know there's still somebody who can turn out even for a non-league outfit that was actually playing in Italia '90. <laughs> that's one for all the young youngins out there <laughs> I think um, I'm all for these sort of like publicity stunt signings I think we should have more of them I think we should have Alan Carr telling out up front for us let's oh, face it it can't be any worse than, it can't be any worse than the current bloody strikers we've got 
I just think, like, at our level, <laughs> does it actually hurt? I reckon you could put a few Northampton celebrities in the team and it wouldn't make any difference. You know that guy, Mark, Michael from CBBC? Stick him in centre midfield. I reckon he'd do all right. Um, you know, even Leslie Joseph, if we're getting that. Well, you know. well one of my favourite random, um, uh, you know, sort of players that shouldn't even... What's, what's he doing there? Um, Colonel Gaddafi's son played um, played 45 minutes for Perugia back in, I think it was 2003. Yeah. Because uh, and it was in his contract that... Um, he was going to play against Juventus. So he had 45 minutes against Juventus and that was it. He was off again. But I mean, you know, what's all that about? It's just outrageous, really. These tiny little little stories that people, you know, clubs use for a little bit of publicity to drive a little bit of, you know, sort of traction. Um, mm. Colonel Gaddafi's son, Mark Wright, you know. Did you know that uh, is- Colonel Gaddafi... Colonel Gaddafi was interested in buying the cobblers, but after a bit of perusal, he, he decided his his reputation didn't want to be, you know, searched with getting involved <laughs> with the about cobblers. Worried about his reputation, so he backed out. Yeah, he did. Only a pound. Giovanni Di Stefano. Yeah. He was yeah. interested. And hadn't he, he represented Gaddafi? I mean, I don't know. Southern Hussein, wasn't he? You know, uh, it Southern was basically... It was, but it wasn't just Saddam, was it? There was a few other people in Gaddafi as well, it, wasn't it? Like, I think it was. Yeah. He was your go-to man for villains if they were. If he you were was. <laughs> it was ridiculous, that wasn't it? It was, it was like, pretty darn lucrative, I imagine. <laughs> but the thing about that was, and it still makes me laugh, is, and he was one hundred percent right. Philly was, you know, he was one hundred percent right. He said, "I am going to give a pound for the cobblers and no more." And I still think that to this day, the cobblers is, is not really worth more than a pound. And he was just like, I'll give you, I'll pay a pound, but you get all my expect- expertise of representing Saddam Hussein. You know, we might have a few members of the Bath Party sitting in the stand at Sixfield, which is actually probably a bit more um, straight on the line than some of the people over the years have sat there. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's just all the behind the scenes details. Like, um, you know, he had to have a certain wing of the stackis. <laughs> Yeah, it's what I read about um, Colonel Gaddafi. You know, immediately they come in. You know, the, the private planes jet in. Immediately takes over the uh, you know top floor of the best hotel in Perugia. Can you imagine uh, walking down Gold Street and uh, like a fleet of uh, armored cars pull outside Jenny's restaurant as Colonel Gaddafi goes in for the uh, goes in for the mixed breakfast? Fifteen bullet bulletproof Mercs just flying down the Welly Road. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all for those pub publicity signings and it's good. It's a good one about non league and um my football moment of the week goes back to West Ham. I think I've spoken to them before about how the, some of their fans are some of their fans are a little bit um upset about the the way the club is run and um this week it was revealed that uh the Hammers have appointed Eve Vorley, a director of X-rated films such as Lesbian <laughs> Student Nurses and Horny Housewives on the job to their board of directors. And uh, yeah, for fans of West Ham that are not happy about the way the club is, well, I'm not sure that that's gone down for it, you know, well. Uh, although they, they might have seen a couple of films she's 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 done. Um it said Vorley, whose real name is Emma Benton Hughes, is a partner of West Ham's co-chairman David Sullivan and has been pictured at the London Stadium watching the Hammers in action on numerous occasions. Now, we've talked a little bit about this on the group chat 
And um, I didn't put this to the public because it could have gone very, very wrong. Um, porn film mashups and cobblers mashups, porn, porn film titles. We didn't get actually very far because Ian just started talking about Omar again. <laughs> but um, yeah, so my I, I came up with one which was uh, deep throat, as in long throw, deep throat. And Debbie does Stuart Dallas for people that can remember a cobblers player called Stuart Dallas. But Jefferson Lake. Uh, came up with, and this is one for uh, obscure Cobblers fans, barely league Galbraith. <laughs> These are 70s classic porn films. Um, do you reckon, Ian, we could do with a few, you know, porn porn people at Cobblers? We're fucked enough as it is. Oh, so well, as a fan of the adult film industry, as a fan of the adult film industry, I'm a bit sort of, I'm not very happy about it being associated with West Ham. You know, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Do you reckon? Funny when you were saying, it's funny when you were saying earlier about you know, I was about Germany. I was a big fan of German cinema in my youth with those like some of those channels I used to have. Can I just say a little? You mentioned Omar, a bit of a follow up. Um, I won't have him as my eye in the copper's A to Z later, but I have. I don't. I haven't watched it in depth, but there are a couple of Omar films where he's wearing a woolly hat, and he's wearing a Liverpool woolly hat. It's got a Liverpool badge on. So, sorry, Cobblers fans. Omar is a red, not a not a um, cobbler. Although, who knows? He might have been like that lady we were talking about last week who started off um, as as a Cobblers fan, then Phil Neal came along and then moved to Liverpool. Maybe Omar followed. Um, Phil Neal, and, and that's how we got into Liverpool. That was what it was. By the way, a bit of listener feedback. My sister messaged me in the week um, after last week's podcast, you know, and I said about um, my dad's friendship with Phil Neal, and I, yeah. and I had Phil Neal's commemorative um, uh, testimonial brochure, which I Googled afterwards, and I found a copy on eBay, and, um, yeah, it came out in 1985. The story goes, this is crazy, I don't remember this, I must have been too young, but the story goes, that my dad, um, like every Sunday, it was a Saturday morning, we used to go to the Grosvenor Centre. Mum and sisters would go shopping in Sainsbury's, do the weekly shopping. Me and my dad would just, you know, hang around and go wherever. And apparently, the story goes, we were walking through the Grosvenor Centre, walk past, you know, the old big WH Smith that's recently moved. And Phil Neal called out my dad's name. He said, Rod. And I <laughs> turned around and... Um, there he was. He was sat there in there signing the testimonial brochures. So that was how we had to, how we came to have it. But apparently, when he took it, took me in, I was too scared to, to talk to Phil, and I was, and I hid <laughs> behind the magazine rack. Apparently, <laughs> I have no no memory of it whatsoever that happening. No memory. I think my dad was saying to me, you know, this is my friend, this is my mate Phil. No, don't remember it. But apparently, that's what happened. So there you go. He did. He didn't call out, uh, Rod. You owe me twenty five quid, did he? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when we played Killer on the, yeah, the pool table in the YMCA in 1970. Yeah. No, that's um, that's a that's a really cool story, and it, like we said last week, it's amazing. Uh, such a highly decorated player started off at Northampton and started off playing snooker with your dad. That's a that's a really good one. But um, I was going back to Omar. That's a real um juxtaposition. That one. Uh, maybe Omar started off wearing a cobbler's shirt, but you know it dismayed him so much looking at it that he lost his uh how we just we describe it he lost his stride he lost his stride <laughs> enough to put anyone off in it really do you know what i mean but yeah so 
So let's move on to Saturday's game with Oxford United at Sixfields. It's good to be joined by James Roberts of the Oxford Mail to preview a return match that's come around very quickly. James, how you doing? We're still trying to get over that 4-0 whooping over here. Shudder. <laughs> yes, well, we're, we're kind of still dining out on it. Uh, Oxford, to be honest, although a few good wins after. after. Um, yeah, all good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. It's I find football is a bit of a break from this this COVID business. So when a football game comes around, it just takes you out of that you know that mindset for a while, doesn't it? A bit of a bit of sport never hurts. It's strange. It's kind of uh, at the start. I was thinking, oh, no fans. You know, is it really going to feel the same? But I think if anything, especially with sort of lockdown three, it's become even more important, even more of kind of an escape. Yeah, I, I'd agree, and it's just a case now whether football's trying really hard to keep going, and you know, to the the credit of all clubs, they're really trying hard with the, the safety element and stuff like that. It's just whether it can literally keep going with the, the cases as it is. But, you know, fingers crossed, Saturday's game is going ahead fine as we speak. So um, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I spoke earlier about how the last game just seems only, it probably only was a couple of weeks ago, the 4-0 defeat at the Kassam for Northampton, 4-0 win for Oxford. Um, how's it been going for Oxford since then? Because I've looked at the results and it, it seems pretty good it seems to be on an upward trajectory and uh, unbeaten since the Northampton game yeah definitely I, I mean to be honest it's all kind of turned around since the start of December for Oxford um, lost the derby against Swindon uh, 2-1 conceded two late goals and obviously that was a real kick in the teeth uh, since then uh, brought, changed the goalkeeper brought in Jack Stevens, a, a young academy product for Simon Eastwood the more um, experienced uh, goalkeeper in the squad and it's all kind of come together at both ends of the pitch they sort of gained some useful draws against top to, uh, sort of teams towards the top of the division before that game and, and that sort of second half performance where they, they really sort of turned it on was the first time it had come together and, and since then it's it's been wins all the way. They they went to they they won two nil at home to Wimbledon on Boxing Day where sort of again very professional performance then one at Plymouth who were in form Thrash Burton who were kind of a bit of a mess but that was just just as Hasselbank came in, actually, and uh, yeah. then beat Cambridge in the trophy. So it's actually on a five-match winning run, nine games unbeaten, and it, all the noise is coming out of the club, and the, sort of all the confidence is, is flowing. Yes, yeah, it's pretty much exactly what we didn't want to hear. You, <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could you could have dressed it up and said, "Oh, you know, we're uh, <laughs> we're struggling Saturday." But look, <laughs> if you look at the the, the bare results, five one v Burton is is a good result. Obviously, Jimmy hadn't been in at that point, so he didn't really have a chance to change things around. But that's still a good good result. Plymouth was at three two. That was a that's a solid performance, isn't it? It's like it sounds like a battling one to an extent. The Plymouth one. Yeah, it really was actually. They were kind of nowhere for the first half an hour, went one nil down. And it was one of those games where a Tuesday night, and, and there were fans actually for that one, they really need to kind of dig in. And um, it, that's the thing, they, they've shown a lot of grit, whereas earlier in the season they were losing games by the odd goal. Um, you know, obviously I've probably jinxed it here, but they seem to have tightened up at the back and, uh, and and really able to sort of grind out draws and wins when before it was defeats and maybe draws. Yeah, it just seems that there just seems to be a, a certain amount of consistency now for Oxford, which should you know stand them in good stead for Saturday. Uh, Oxford previously, Southampton had been a bit of a good side for us to play. I remember going there in the championship season when we won the league, and uh, you guys finish runners up. And so we, we we always like to try and beat Oxford, but that four nil was a real. We were brought down to earth with a 
with a thud. What did you make of? Obviously, it was a great Oxford performance. What did you make of Northampton in that four 0 at the Kassam a couple of weeks ago? Because it was obviously very worrying for us. But what did you make of it as a neutral? Well, I think I read a lot of sort of stuff in the local press afterwards, and uh, and Keith Kell's reaction, and uh, there, you, you know, there was a lot of kind of saying, you know, that was awful, that was that was a shocking performance. I actually thought in the first half, Northampton kind of the game plan was was to kind of contain and, and make it difficult for us. And I thought they did that pretty successfully. It was only, of course, when that first goal went in. I think it was what only two or three minutes after half time, wasn't it? And uh, from then, you know, you, you kind of rip up the sort of plan A and uh, and obviously it might go awry. But, um, you know, I think I think Northampton, like you say, have always been a bit of a bogey side for Oxford, especially in the last few years under Chris Wilder. There yeah. was obviously a bit of needle there. And, you know, I, I think they're the sort of team that Oxford still don't like playing, especially away from home where, you know, it's, it's you know, you... Northampton can play more the way they want and, and and sort of maybe control the tempo of the game. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure if you know much about our pitch at the moment, but uh, the pitch is oh, no. <laughs> in, in a bad it's in a bad state. We've we've been training on the pitch, and although a lot of people are quite rightly saying, you know, this isn't this isn't a thing to be done. You shouldn't be training on the pitch. You know, we've got a training ground. What, what's going on? Keith Curl, I would suspect, you know, it makes. It makes it harder for teams to play against Northampton. The pitch is quite narrow as well, so we just make it. We try and make it as difficult as possible for opponents. I just felt in the the four nil game that you can only contain teams for so long. You've got to be expressive at some point because it's a game to score goals, isn't it? It's not you can't you're, not, you're never really going to win any games if you, your game is about containment. So that has been our problem all season really and it'll just be interesting to see and I say this every week and it never really happens if, if Cobblers are going to go on the front foot as Keith Curl always says front foot football because we haven't really seen it um, let's move on to uh, the well slightly retrospectively the players that played against Northampton in the 4 nil at, at the Kassam the goal scorers I think were Taylor Shadipo and Agyei if I pronounce that correctly Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. Out of those players who are likely to play on Saturday, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much same again. And again, you probably don't want to hear this, but uh, there's no real sort of injury concerns as as we stand here. I spoke to Carl Robinson this morning, and he said everyone was kind of um, training and fit. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it will be sort of the same again. Matthew Taylor and, and Shadipo, the two uh, players who scored the first two that night, they they sort of found form um Shadipo winger QPR Loney and yeah. and he's he's a real sort of threat he he can blow a bit hot and cold as as young players generally do but mm. uh, you know he's he's one of those to watch and and actually it's, he's a funny one you know because uh, he's been at the club now for well, a season and a half or so, never really managed to get a run of games or goals, but every now and again just comes up with a moment of brilliance. So you might have actually escaped, you know, well, maybe not escaped, but uh, had that one moment of brilliance over <laughs> for the next few months. So yeah. he'll probably be uh, probably be coming off the bench, I'd imagine, on Saturday. Yeah, I was speaking to a Sunderland writer last week and we were saying that League One, for various reasons, has been... Th- sort of a much of a muchness in terms of talent this season. There are obviously a few standout players, but any team can beat anyone on any given day. And I just think that this game in particular on Saturday will be about match winners. And I do look at people like Shadipo, who I, I, I've only seen him a couple of times, but he looks to seem to have a, a bit of 
match-winning talent, would you say? You've got a couple of players over in Oxford that can perhaps turn a tight game. Yeah, I think so. You know, like you say, this season because of COVID and everything going on around that, is you really sometimes don't know which team's going to turn up. And and yeah, he he's a sort of player that you know, in in kind of classic sort kind of left winger uh, cutting inside fashion, will will you know get the ball, take on his man, beat him on the inside, and curl it into the top corner. Obviously, that doesn't happen every time. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's one of those that I think for Oxford it will be more the kind of grinding out performance than the, you know, moments of brilliance. Maybe I'm jinxing it positively for Oxford here, but I can't see it being a 4 deal. And maybe it will be, a, you know, the odd goal and, and you might need a, to grind it out and have one player do something amazing. How would you describe uh, Robinson's tactics this season? You know, it's been a bit of a... Obviously, you've gone down to near the bottom of the division, too close for comfort to the relegation zone, and there's there is a bit of a resurgence now. How would you, you know, define his tactics through the season and what we're likely to see on Saturday? Um, well, he's very wedded to four three three. It's funny because he came and he was wedded to four two three one sort of a couple of years ago, but uh, in the last couple of seasons, it's been uh, sort of the, the former formation. And yeah, really, you're looking at kind of he lo- he loves a winger. Hence why sort of Shadipo's here on loan, and uh, but one thing that I think you've probably got to look out for that's come in recently is, is United's marauding Brazilian, as some people have called them, fullbacks. Uh, Sam Long and Josh Ruffles, both local boys who come sort of through the youth setup, and and in the last couple of games, I don't, I honestly don't know what's happened, but they, they've just started really contributing assists and goals. I think they've got yeah. three goals and four assists between them, and that is something that United have really kind of, you know, when they've been hitting their stride, and it's, it was the same last season as well when they had Chris Cantor, who, who then left in January. Um, you know, you've got players like that that are really going to, they're going to bomb past maybe less so in Ruffles' sense, but Long recently has been bombing past James Henry on the right, who maybe doesn't quite have the pace himself and making it sort of really difficult for teams to sort of contain on the flanks. Um, that that has kind of been the hallmark of, of the Burton and, and Plymouth performances. Obviously, remains to be seen whether he'll set up differently, but, uh, you know, that 4-3-3, full-backs looking to get forward and... and well, two very, at the moment, solid centre midfield pairing of, of Marcus McGrain and Liam Kelly, who uh, sort of try and work as hard as they can to, you know, in that sort of dual no eight role. I've got a couple of points on, on that. I think four three three is quite a popular formation if you're looking to try and build an attractive style of play and a, a fairly, you know, solid setup, but which also can offer some attacking intent as well and you see often see a lot of higher level teams working around a 4-3-3 so that as an Ox if you're an Oxford fan you'd probably be quite enthused about the sort of attacking potential of that you know the second thing is that from what you've described that's exactly how the way I would set up against Northampton because we are wedded to a, a wing-back system and it might change before Saturday, it might bring a couple of players in, but our wing-backs have often been exposed, and I think felt that that was a case in the, the previous match of 4-0. Uh, a bit of pace getting in behind our wing-backs, our centre-backs aren't particularly steady at the moment, and it just often, a bit of pace and a bit of, you know, wing wing trickery can upset our defence quite a lot, so it's not, not you know, I don't really want to say it, but I, I think that Oxford are the team, probably Keith Carl 
hates playing, you know, the kind of team that Keith Carroll hates playing against the most. If we play against another team that plays 5-3-2, we can try and grind it out in a, and mirror them and try and nullify them. But with a, an attacking 4-3-3 with people like Shadipo, I'd imagine that sort of gives him nightmares and it'll be interesting to see <laughs> see how, how it goes on Saturday. You know, you never know. We, with that tight pitch and difficult surface, we might be able to cause problems for you guys. Um, transfer windows open at the moment. Has there been any movement in or out of Oxford as yet? Um, only out at this stage. Um, dead. So two players gone on loan. So uh, Joel Cooper, Northern Irish winger, who came in the summer and sort of high hopes for him. Basically, that he was going to be almost like the new Gavin White, who uh, you may know went to Cardiff City after a good season with uh, with Oxford a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, he's gone back just partly for personal reasons, actually, but just gone back to Northern Ireland on loan. Sean Clare, uh, right back, or probably more accurate to call him a right wing back in terms of he's maybe better going forward than, than defensively. He's gone on loan to Burton just on Tuesday. Um, nothing in so far. It, Robinson is very kind of good at sort of at the start of the transfer window saying, you know, these are the players I want, maybe not naming them specifically, but he said this time, for example, that he wanted two wingers, uh, a centre-back and, and another unconfirmed. He wanted two early signings and, and those two fell through. Um, I'm not sure if that's been, well, it's been reported, but uh, the reasons were various reasons, but they fell through. Um, and uh, really, it's it's kind of that, that centre-back position is where they really need to strengthen. John Moussinho, club captain, uh, has just gone for knee surgery, so he's out of the picture for the foreseeable at least, and, and there's only sort of two recognised centre-backs. So the fans are getting a little bit you know, edgy as they would be when you approach mid-January and you haven't signed anyone. Um, there's going to be no, doesn't look like at least, there's going to be any movement in the next, well, before the game, uh, obviously things can change, but as it stands, it looks like that's not the case. Um, but yes, I think really looking at three, well, two, three probably players you want to bring in at least. Yeah, things can change before Saturday. You know, I'm sure there'll be a couple of deals being worked on as we speak. Northampton have apparently got a couple of deals being worked on. It's just... It's difficult with squads, uh, squad caps, and you know the the loan market being quite difficult. It's it's not the easiest time. It's always described as not an easy time, isn't it? January to bring players in. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what teams actually line up on Saturday. I, I, I should think Keith Carroll trying to work on a striker, a young striker from Leeds. He's looking at apparently, and uh, maybe a centre back because, like I said, our centre back threw us slightly, you know. Not 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 that steady at the moment, but I guess we'll we'll see it. we'll see on Saturday. Um, what would you say the mood like is in the Oxford camp going into the game? Pretty buoyant, is it? I think so. Although you know, as, as football players and managers do, they're always very kind of keen to play it down. Um, yeah, it, it, there is clearly a lot of confidence there. You know, obviously. You're not, you know, if you're not confident after winning five in a row and you know looking to go ten games unbeaten, you're never going to be. But um, I think I think there's quiet confidence there. This is the sort of season though where where everything can change. I think it's clear that the players have really sort of started to click in recent weeks. That maybe took a bit of time because of the way the season started, because of injuries, because of 
you know, new signings coming in and taking time for gel, to gel. But I think there's, there is quite a good mood around the camera, actually quite a good camaraderie, which, you know, you'd maybe expect to be less the case now because players spend much less time around each other. So uh, I, I definitely don't think they're overconfident. However, there, there is, you know, you, you sense that they know they know what they can do, they know what they're capable of, and, and they know how they want to approach the game. So, uh, yeah, that, that kind of is their sort of base level at the moment. Well, the onus is on Keith Curl, isn't it? Because... Carl Robinson can just say to Oxford, just go out and did what you did against in the first game. Keep things, you know, steady, you know, and just keep to our game plan and, and let them let them see what they can do, see if they can see if they can produce anything. So that will put the onus on Keith Curl. Keith Curl will have the pressure on him because our results are patchy. Although you're you're not very many places higher than us. The right. the form is a lot better for Oxford's and our form is is not great so Keith Curl will be sweating a little bit and it'd just be interesting to see what game sort of game happens on Saturday it could very easily be a very very turgid game where we try and break the play down as we're quite effective of doing and try and not give you a sniff certainly not give you as much space as in the first game or it could be two teams going at hammer and tongs you know Oxford know they can attack and know they can punish us but Cobblers eventually are going to have to start coming out of the traps and trying to win games because we're running out of games now what do you think on that one? Yeah, I, I, I think that's the case. I mean, what we do need to remember is that normally at this stage of January, you know, you're probably 26, 27 games into the season, whereas uh, sometimes Oxford, Oxford have played 20. I think Northampton are about the same. Uh, and um, there's a lot of football left to be played. I, mm. I actually think uh, Oxford might, well, as, as they did in the first game, get more expansive as the game goes on and, yeah. and obviously you know you can open up but uh, I think I think they're very sort of keen at the moment to, to press home that there is still so much football left this season yeah you can have a run like they've had and, and look start looking towards the playoffs and then suddenly after a couple of defeats then you're looking over your shoulders again where do you see Oxford finishing if the season indeed does finish in a normal way well if you'd asked me that question Six weeks ago, I would have probably said, uh, I'd have probably said mid-table, lower mid-table, maybe. I, I don't think I was ever worried about relegation. Now, obviously, the unbeaten run obviously sort of, you know, clouds the view a bit. But I would be, I think, I'd be, I'd be fairly confident Oxford would finish somewhere in the top half, maybe without kind of challenging the playoffs super threateningly I'd say maybe somewhere between about ninth and 12th at this stage it's mm. there's going to be peaks and troughs obviously as there are for every team but um, they seem to have got a formula it's just about you know whether they can kind of really kick on and and, and you know make something amazing of this season I don't think they're quite there yet but uh, but you'd be fairly confident based on the form they've shown in the recent weeks that they, they'd at least finish mid-table yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's a very difficult season and it would be great from the Oxford perspective if they've managed to get into the playoffs somehow. You know, it's not gone the realms of possibility, but a consolidation season to try and kick on next season wouldn't be too bad a thing, I don't think. And Northampton especially just really want to stay in the league. That is our real focus now and it's going to be touch and go, I think, the way things are going. We'll see. On Saturday might be a bit of a 
a signpost of where we can turn if we can turn it around if we can put in a stronger performance than we did in the four nil it might give us a bit of confidence um let's move on to some score predictions then let's put your neck on the line a little bit what do you reckon the score will be on saturday well, with Oxford in the form they're in and uh, and after the four 0 and actually obviously covering the the club, I think I'd be I think I have got to stick my neck out and say an away win. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's gonna be as, as comprehensive as last time. So maybe even the odd goal uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go with a one nil or a two one and I'm gonna go with one nil because of the way Oxford have seemed to shore up in the back in recent weeks. Mm. If you're a betting man, you've got to go with the form, really. You've got to go with the statistics and the form. Some things will come into it. We, it will be a, a bit more of a difficult game, I'm sure of it. I'm sure Keith Carr will be drilling it into his players. We can't let him have the nap panel like they did in the first game. But, you know, on the back of the form, I'm going to go 2-0 to Oxford. I've, we do a prediction league, and I'm doing okay on that. So, hopefully this week I won't do well and we'll win. But <laughs> it, it kind of points. It's not, it's not beyond, you know, it's not... Uh, a wild thing to suggest that Oxford are our favourites for the game, and um, like I said, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm no doubt you'll be shivering in the stands at Sixfield on Saturday. Oh, absolutely! Um, I, I think you realise when fans aren't there that football stadiums are even colder. You know, that I always I've always said football stadiums are the coldest places on earth, and when you don't have kind of the collective body heat and thousands of people to make you at least feel a bit warmer, <laughs> you really yeah. do sit there like an icicle. Talking of shivering, uh, before we go, uh, we've got to talk about that um, Oxford parade in 2016 when Northampton won the league. But Oxford oh. did Oxford did a, a bus parade, and even though you didn't win the league, like, what was that all about? It was a bit like Mike Bassett, England manager, when it rained in it all day. Yeah, well, as it did actually in 2010, the previous year Oxford got promoted, <laughs> so maybe it's something about, <laughs> about those days. No, I think it was one of those... Um, there was there was the interesting subtext that year, wasn't there, when, uh, when yeah. Appleton said uh, the best team in the league finished second. Yeah. And obviously, I know that didn't go down well, especially considering the margin of um, of, of points that, that Northampton were above Oxford. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was just I think you may as well celebrate it. it doesn't come down too too long. I still not 100 percent sure Appleton really believed what he said about <laughs> that, but uh, I think it definitely had its impact, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, the two managers with egos, wasn't it? Wilder and Appleton, they're both sort of proud guys and they didn't want to seed, you know, defeat. I think Chris Wilder obviously had the last last laugh with um, the way we won the league by so many points. But you're only as good as your last result, really. And Oxford have got the upper hand. So we, Cobblers really have to turn it around, trying to get the uh, bragging rights back to Northampton. But listen, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again on Sunday for the, the post-match. Hopefully it'll be the Northampton end celebrating, but we'll see, I guess. And um, take care and enjoy the game. No problem, mate. Thank you very much. You too. Thanks a lot. Right then, it's time for a sartorial interlude. I'm sitting here drinking my tea in my carabiner mug, and we're going to talk to Lee Newell, the man behind Newell's clothing and accessories, who produced a Cultura del Terrazzo range. He's also an Evertonian for his sins. How are you doing, Lee? Recovered from the Christmas rush yet? Very good, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, just about getting over that, mate. Still have nightmares about it, but yeah, we're getting there. How did it go? Did you obviously managed to get everything out in time, but just a bit of a push, I should think. Yeah, it's obviously just a stressful time. I mean, when you get a big bulk of orders in in one go, and you know we're a small team, there's a there's a lot of pressure, especially with the uh, mail service how it is at the moment. But um, yeah, we got there in the end, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe. 
as customers, we should be a little bit more understanding of the independence and just allow a little bit of leeway, especially with Royal Mail. They're, they're up against it. A lot of them, uh, the postmen are self-isolated and stuff. So it's a difficult one, but it's, it just shows it's good for business, isn't it, when you're busy? It's, it's, it's a positive thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's just, it's annoying. It's out of our control, isn't it? We can process the orders, get them out, but it's out of our hands then. So it's kind of out of our control. There's not a lot we can do about it, but obviously we're fielding the uh, the anger and the uh, frustrations from customers. But hey, it's half the course, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. it is what it is. What it is. Yeah, yeah. And I am uh, my my mug and that came in good time. So yeah, don't worry about that. So tell us a little about about the uh, inspiration to start the brand and when it started roughly. Um, it's probably three years ago. I mean, Cultura didn't exist at the time. I just had a Twitter account. Yeah, I was just kind of, I was doing sort of designs and posters and I was just sharing them about and it kind of went from there and then the clothing and stuff like that just, it kind of happened by accident. And mm. I just come up with a, a name. I'm not going to try and spin up, spin your line about how I come up with it, it just sounded fucking quite cool in Italian. Yeah. Yep. That was it. Uh, popped the design up on Twitter, did a quick pre-order. I was actually on my way to watch Everton at times in the back of the car with a beer. And um, I just popped it up on Twitter and we'd sold about 100 t-shirts by the, t- by the time we got to the game. I thought, you know, we're on to something here. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. So it was kind of an accident. It just went from there. But, uh, you know, the culture order stuff's definitely the popular stuff uh, out of what we were doing. We were doing other branded stuff, but that's what stuck. So that's what we went with. Do you think there was or is a like a gap in the market for well-designed stuff that's also fairly affordable, you know, so not going to the high-end line that, you know, football casuals have looked to in the, in the past that maybe people are looking for stuff that's a bit more, you know, original and uh, fairly fairly affordable? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain style you wanna you wanna stick to, and I understand that bit about affordability. You don't yeah. necessarily always want to be spending four or five hundred quid on a jacket, or I mean, you will do every now and then, but you staple. I mean, if it's affordable, I think that's where we've kind of got it right. I mean, yeah, we probably could charge a bit more because the stuff we're using, the materials we're using. We don't tend to go for cheap stuff. So, obviously, that squeezes our profit margins, but we want to keep our customers. So, you know, we're, I think we're in a good bracket, whereas we're not we're not dirt cheap, which scares people off. And it usually yep. shit. But we're not mega expensive either. So, we kind of sat there in the middle. But with this, uh, I don't know, Football culture, terrace culture. I really wanted to avoid the the old cliche of you know attaching yourself to like the old hooligan films, all that sort of stuff. It's yeah, yeah. Out of date. It's it's boring, and there's so many mm. people doing it. It's I don't know. It makes me cringe. So I I know our name is like culture and terrace, but we try and make it plain to people that it's not all about that. It's uh, there's some very discerning people there on them terraces. They like the nice clothes. They like the music. You know, they. I'm rabbiting on now. I don't even know what the question was. What was the question? 
No, it was just basically like the inspiration of the brand and, uh, and, and trying to keep things affordable but well designed. I, I think what's setting you apart at the moment to an extent is things are, you know, the items are, you know, affordable and money's tight for a lot of people and but just really well designed. So that's obviously um, sort of paramount for you, isn't it? The design of everything. You put a lot of thought into the small details as well. Yeah, I think I think that's the key. I mean, we don't tend to release a lot of different products at the same time. We'll probably do yeah. between, you know, one and maybe two or three at a time, different designs. And we we try not to flood flood our website with, you know, different just just for the sake of it. I mean, I'd rather release two or three nice looking jackets or smocks or t shirts and uh, concentrate on them than just put any old shit on a top and you know what I mean? It's it's just yeah. been been rinsed. So we're tra- we're trying to do something not necessarily different, but a bit of a different spin on you know classic sort of designs, really. I suppose. Yeah, I think you're doing a good job of that. I, I think that sort of leads me on to the next question. Um, are you sort of bothered or concerned about the brand coming almost like too too ubiquitous, too popular, losing its edge a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so, someone asked me about that the other day, and um, it's a fine line because mm. obviously we want to do well as a business, and we'd obviously love to sell, you know, ten thousand jackets in a weekend or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I I definitely don't want to lose that kind of. I don't sound like a twat and say exclusivity, but it's yeah, it's along those lines. I mean, if if, if we make a million or something, it's just not. It's not that desirable anymore, is it? It's the same with anything. So, um, yeah, I am conscious of, of numbers and rinsing certain designs. We get a lot of people asking us to re-release stuff, and I, I'm just, you know, we could easily go back and release stuff that people are asking for, and we'd probably sell out, but where's the fun in that? It's just fucking boring, you know? I, I'm just not into it at all. Mm. We've got to keep moving forward, doing new stuff few things at a time getting them right and we've made mistakes you know we learn from them and uh we'll get there luckily we've got a lot of uh loyal customers and supporters who who've stuck with us so thanks to them really yeah definitely and you want to you want to keep like, innovating and keep keep on your toes so the fact that you're not doing reissues and you're you know keeping things quite small and changing you know looking at new designs is going to keep you on your toes in that respect isn't it um What's been your favourite thing you've produced so far? Clothing <sighs> wise, it's probably a few. Oh, do you know what, mate? Um, every time I brought someone out, that's been my favourite thing. But I tend, <laughs> I tend to get bored quite easily. I mean, I've always been the same. I'll wear, I'll buy a jacket, I'll wear it three or four times, and it kind of loses its magic for me. <laughs> and I want a new one. So yeah. uh, my favourites are changing all the time. But I think. I'm going to say the new ones we've got coming up are probably my favourites. We did them last year in uh, the pink and the denims, the hooded over shirts, and um, they're really popular, the design. But these uh, cotton ripstop ones we've got coming out and coming out next month. We've just done a pre-order on them, actually. So um, I, th- I think I'd have to say they're my favourite so far. I actually wear them quite regular, so that's a good sign. If I'm wearing them myself, then... No. Yeah, I reckon I reckon that they're looking pretty smart and the pre-order's pre-order's gone pretty well for them, has it? 
Yeah, I mean, we haven't done a pre-order for a long time. Um, mm. you, you probably remember yourself when you were doing it. It's just, it's, well, you're taking people's money and then you're waiting and you're hoping for no delays and you're hoping they're right when they come. But we had, we had that many people asking for pre-orders. I kind of caved in. Um, and yeah, it went well, considering it was just after Christmas and everything else as well. So people are obviously on board with the new design and everything. So uh, look forward to getting them on general release next month, along with a few other things as well. Got a couple of surprises to chuck in that we haven't kind of sneak peeked on social media or anything. There's a few too many eyes about <laughs> at the moment um, without naming any names. But um, yeah, we've got a few few other things up our sleeves that people need to look out for in the next month or so. Ah, oh, that's cool. That's um, I think maybe not that people can wear like their best their best gear out a lot at the moment with lockdown and everything. But I think clothes is a bit of an escape, like um, retail therapy a little bit. Like it just cheers people up. If you could just buy something here and there, like I'll buy something on the internet. It just gives you a little bit of a, a buzz. And I guess you're, if you're into football and stuff, you can sort of think about when we get actually get back into watching football because loads of people are missing it. And as Evertonian, you must be missing going to the games as well. I am, mean, yeah, definitely. Especially the way this season's going. It's typical, mm. isn't it? We have our best season in years and we can't even fucking watch them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. <clears throat> I'm exactly the same. I'm constantly finding myself on bloody web clothing websites and trainers and stuff like that. Just like you say, though, I mean, it's a little bit of excitement, isn't it? You're getting something through the post and something to open. It's something to do, isn't it? Mm. In these boring times but well, there you go does your missus let you off now or like because you can just make your own stuff she lets you off having a massive wardrobe of clothes because my one is always trying to throw the odd bit out here and i can't you just move <laughs> this on now you've got too much but you can have uh, how much you want <laughs> you know what, my, my wardrobes were oh, just fucking bulging and i i got fed up of it and i went proper bat shit on it all i stuck it all in vacuum bags i couldn't bring yeah. myself but they're in the attic in vacuum bags, along with about 100 pairs of trainers. Uh, <laughs> up there, mate, out the way. Be a nice little treasure trove to explore in a couple of years, that. Yeah, yeah. If you ever get divorced, just get out and have like a midlife crisis with all your old gear. <laughs> yeah, that's my overdraft. That's my overdraft in the attic. Whatever I mean, I'll delve into that. So, um, you know, you're into music as well. And perhaps talk to us a little bit about how music and your brand are sort of merging a little bit now you i've noticed that quite a few musicians are have worn your stuff um the guy from twisted wheel uh yeah. johnny from dmas that must be a bit of a buzz mustn't it yeah it's good mate i mean i'm probably into music more mate. i'm into football and i'm, I'm massively into football but i like say with with our name the terrace culture thing I, I just don't want people thinking it's all about football and kicking off on the terraces all that sort of stuff that's just not what we're about i mean yep. there's a lot more to it than that especially with the music um i think music's a massive part of people's lives especially the sort of people who probably buy our stuff and go to football and what have you i mean music's massive going to gigs and i i went to a few gigs last year and you look at the stuff lads are wearing it's it, it is terrace fashion it's uh yeah. It's hand in hand. It's all the same. So, yeah, I mean, we've had a few. 
Uh, we, ne- we never approach people or, you know, just randomly send people stuff desperate for, for them to wear them. They generally just get on board and send us a message or whatever. And, you know, we won't just send them stuff out to anyone. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just not what we're about. I've seen, I've seen a few brands of just any old fucker wearing them just to get them on Instagram and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, it's embarrassing, mate. But, mm. uh, yeah, Johnny Twisted Wheel, he's, I spoke to him the other day, actually. He's uh, he's well on board, loves it. He wore it on tour with uh, Liam Gallagher last year around Europe. So, yeah, we got loads of good exposure from that. Skylights. Um, they were wearing it on Soccer AM, actually, when they went on there. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And, uh, yeah, Johnny from... DMAs, yeah, randomly popped up on Instagram one night, and um, he's been wearing it quite a lot. He seems to like the stuff. I've got another box for them to send out soon, actually. I think the other lads are going to have a few bits as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's that's, good. It's quite it? funny how it's quite funny how uh, that's a little circle sort of close there because um, Tommy from DMAs is a big Evertonian, isn't he? Even though he's from Australia, I think his dad's. That has either played for Everton or has got a big link to Tommy from DMAs. Yeah, I'm not sure what the link is. I'm not sure if his dad is British or. Yeah, I think his dad, his dad from his dad is from Merseyside, and he was uh, like a youth player for Everton. I'm pretty yeah. sure about that. I've got to be honest. Nice. That, was, that was the first time I did the DMAs. They popped up in it on Everton social media or or whatever, and I looked at the picture and I thought, it is. I thought they were like some sort of grime band or something, you know, to look at them or yeah, yeah. something. I was like, nah, I'm not interested. And it took me like a few months and I actually listened to them. It's like, fucking hell. Like, I just didn't expect that sound to be coming out of them lads. But you're well on board with them now. Just fantastic. And yeah. Yeah, we saw, we saw like, we saw them quite early on. They played the Roman during Northampton quite early on and there was probably about 250 people there. And yeah. they played Rovender twice. No, the second time, a bit more, you know how it grows. But now you're lucky they'll, they'll sell out Brixton and Ali Pali and places like that. And you won't be lucky to get a ticket. So it's just mad how, how they've grown. But all the bands you mentioned are, are really good. I, I really like Twisted Wheel. They're so good live. They played Rovender, actually. They're just a wicked, probably underrated band, I think, Twisted Wheel. Yeah, I think they were just, they were unlucky not, not to make it bigger when they first come around, you know. It was like... Mm late naughty sort of thing and they went on to the Oasis and all that and I know we had they had a few issues afterwards but um it's just a shame how it happened for them but I mean they come back last year and I, I you've probably heard that album it's just came brilliant to come out of that album out of nowhere. It was amazing. Mm. He's good he's a good lad Johnny and he's, he's had his problems but cracking uh cracking frontman and songwriter and and what have you. But uh yeah shame. And then lockdown yeah. It was about to take off for them again. Yeah, they. I really recommend them to anyone listening as a, as a live band. I've seen them at a few festivals, and they've always got quite a loyal fan base. They're really good live. Well, DM, they're all of all of Skylights are good. Um, DMAs are good as well. So it's nice that you've got a bit of backing from you know some decent bands. And what's next for the brand? Do you think you know two three years ahead, or are you just keeping it as it is? Do you do you want to like sell the brand and move to a tropical islands eventually? <laughs> Mate, honestly, I've been blagging it from day one, and I'm still blagging it now. It's um, it's just making up day by day. I mean, 
Yeah. I guess stuff made, thinking, oh, you know, people might not like it or whatever. And if people don't like it, it goes in my wardrobe. I've got a wardrobe full of samples that I've never even shown. Yeah. Uh, they're mine. So the, the, the worst thing can come out of it is I've got a wardrobe full of clothes that no one else has got. And if people like it and want to buy it, then great. But um, I've got to say, there's no, like, massive, massive plan. We're kind of just going to carry on as we are. Probably, I don't want to go down the whole big promotion route, if you know what I mean. I don't want to shove yep. it in spaces. I don't want, I, I don't want to pay for adverts all over social media. You just get pissed off seeing them, don't you? So exactly. I'm kind of quite happy milling around in the background. People who, who appreciate us find us. So, I mean, that that's how I like it, really. Um like I, say, I, won't, I won't be sending stuff out to any old Tom, Dick and Harry just so they wear it and get it on Instagram just because he was in a fucking film 20 years ago or something. It's the, <laughs> That's know. the thing. If, you, if you've got a strong brand, just let it just let it like breathe. Just let it do its own thing. You don't need to be going to people. Just um, And I'm then... Coming around with me begging ball saying, please wear my jacket. Just, uh, <laughs> mate, if you want one, yeah. If you... If you're fucking cool, I'll give you one. <laughs> you know, that's, that ain't a bad that ain't a bad outlook. Can you uh, let's wrap up now? Can you um just uh like reel off your uh website and maybe your just your Twitter or something? Yeah, social media. We're on um at Newell CDT and the website now. Well, just launched a month or so ago. It's new now, so it's uh newellcdt.com and that's that yeah that's cool mate and there's really good stuff on it I've got a lot of stuff in my wardrobe got to keep that from the missus I don't think she'll ever get to throw that stuff out but um, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and um, you know like keep keep going with it mate because it's really good stuff and it's really quality stuff and um, yeah you've done good stuff take it easy mate yeah pleasure mate thanks Tom cheers man no worries mate take it easy cheers man um, so yeah, let, let's let's move on then. Let's move on to the cobblers A to Z. We're on to the letter O now. Uh, we've had yet again a lot of answers, so sorry if we don't read them all out. But we really appreciate that you sending them in, and it's just a bit of nostalgia and stuff talking about some former players and different things beginning with O. Martin, have you got a letter O for the cobblers A to Z? Yeah, I, I was I was torn between between two centre midfielders, kind of a few years apart. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say Abdel Osman. You know, absolutely average player. And I don't mean average in the sense of being disparaging. He was just absolutely fine every week. You know, six, six out of ten every week <laughs> was unremarkable in almost every sense. But cometh the hour, cometh the man. And he was the guy who scored the winning penalty at the cop. And his, and his name, there's so many players who were maybe better, about the same, who we've forgotten except when we play our, we try and do our versions of Culverhouse. And you have Blosman, no one will ever forget, not for probably the 80-odd games he played, but for one moment at Anfield. Yeah, 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 you're right. And that coolness that he showed when he took that penalty, the, the pressure on that guy in front of the cop with... The Anfield crowd baying. It was just a, just a supreme bit of confidence. And the way he did the penalty as well, he didn't like just, you know, put his head over the ball, shoot it into a corner. He opened his body up and just side-thread it in. It was absolutely brilliant. And 
for mo- for cobblers fans who have been through so much rubbish, it was just a moment of ups- an absolute high that I don't think will ever be repeated for people who were there. It was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. It was incredible. I, I remember because we were down the other end, and and it was. It still feels like slow motion. Of you've seen the keepers gone the wrong way, and you're like, all this has got to do is not hit the post or go wide. And when the net rippled, it was just like, yeah, just <laughs> what a feeling. I'll go through some of the readers' ones now, and there's a couple that we talked about before. One of the podcast favourites and one of Martin's favourites is Armand One, uh, or Armand One, as probably a lot of commentators have called him in, <laughs> <laughs> in his time. Uh, Toffee Girls uh, tweeted us Armand One, Robert Kirby as well. Um, he was a bit of a, how would you describe it, a lumbering striker, Martin? Not very good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he, he was a bit a big unit. I think he, I think he might have got one goal in about four appearances. Didn't look particularly particularly impressive. Um, but I think he had he'd scored a few prior to coming. One of those names you sort of noticed. I think I'd always thought it was arm, um, despite the fact I speak a, a bit of French. For some reason, it was like what I always thought one, and then when I realised he was French, it was like not pronounced that. But I do remember a taxi driver telling me that he picked him up once and he was way late for training. <laughs> Maybe his uh, surname related to how many goals he actually scored in his career. Yes. Because I, I'm looking, he's not, it wasn't hardly prolific, <laughs> but, but I'll just go through some of, I'll just go, I'll, I'll read off every club he played for because this is a typical journeyman, right? He played, he comes from Paris. Paris. Uh, he joined Nantes B, which is for all ho- football hipsters out there. The, one of the best B sides in the world and Nantes B. So he went from Nantes B to Cambridge, then Northampton Town on loan, then to Wrexham, then to Tamworth. Then he went to Partick Thistle, Calden B, Rafe Rovers, then TPS Turku, which sounds Finnish to me. Is that right? TPS, yeah. TPS Turku. Turku Finnish, yeah. Yeah. Then to back to Scotland to Livingston, then to Gateshead, Stranraer where he scored 25 in 54 goals, which is almost a one-in-two strike rate. It's just bizarre. So like, he, sort of, he, scored... he finally found himself in the shadow of the ferry terminal in the west of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to go where the work is. <laughs> but he, was, he scored 25 goals in 54, which is a great strike rate in Stranraer. Do you know, it's like horses with courses. Suddenly he found himself home in Stranraer and just bagged for fun. Uh, Carl Scott has to be John Joe O'Toole. John Joe O'Toole is one of those players that needs no introduction. Probably doesn't even need yeah. to be explained. He was that good at that time, so we won't go into him too much. Um, we've got a, quite a few O's, as in the Irish O. O'Shea, Danny O'Shea, we talked about before. Uh, Simon, man, Simon changes his Twitter thing all the time, and he's currently calling himself Simon Quinklank, King of All Hobbies. So, grumpy grey head, fair play to you, who said, Hotel end without the H. <laughs> so did so did Deborah Marshall. Um, Ali, nineteen seventy three tournament has gone for Roy O'Donovan, who always lives long in my memory for scoring that goal at Port Vale, which sent them absolutely their fans absolutely nuts. Um, Deborah Marshall's gone for Chris O'Donnell, the uh, podcast favourite. We always go to Andy yeah. on Chris O'Donnell. Andy loves a bit of Chris O'Donnell. Did Chris yeah, O'Donnell what? play? Did he play for Leeds United? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He went Leeds and Ipswich were the teams either side of his um, 
rather undistinguished uh, stint under Graham Carr, yeah, I think. Yeah, because um, I was reading about him the last time, and I remember Chris O'Donnell, not the actor, not about, uh, Robin, Chris O'Donnell, the footballer, got struck down with glandular fever while at Leeds United. And, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a sad story because he just wanted to be out there training, but he, all he could do was sit at home with his parents reading a book. So, <laughs> but what is worse, having glandular fever or playing for the cobblers? I don't don't know. <laughs> so, Steve Cobbler Toad's gone for to his horse, the cobbler's song. Don't know why I went all Cornish there. Um, that, that, that begins with H, Steve. I'm sorry, or H, so we're not going to accept that one. Uh, Keith, Keith Buck B, Keith B has gone for Ollie Cahill and Verdane Oliver, like uh, Andy. Ollie Cahill rings a bell, was back in the Atkins days, maybe? No, um, I, guess so, I remember in the very early days of Sixfields, when it couldn't have been that early, because Atkins was there. I, so, me and my mate, Steve, we somehow got access um, to the pitch. I can't remember what we were doing there, but... Um, and like we were like messing about in the dugout. It's usually referred to as a pitch invasion, Ian. No, it wasn't. It was like I don't know what it was. I don't know what it. But like, is there even a game on? I, I can't remember. We ended up down. Do you know what? As a kid, I I went down six years while it was being built. You know that this was before. This was after that. Like I remember me and my, my another mate. We actually stood like in the West End when it was still a building site because you do that kind of thing when you're like fifteen, don't you? But no, I remember we. We stood in the dugout and he was going, oh, I'll be Ian Atkins, you be Ollie Cale, Ollie, get, you know, like I sat in the bench and we were like, pretending. so I always, I'd always remember him as a, as a sub, as a perm, you know, as a, the, ever the substitute on the bench, like getting told to warm up by Ian Atkins. <laughs> Ian, what do you do when you're told to be Ollie Cahill? What do you actually do? You know, get your, your stand up, take your tracksuit bottoms off and start warming up on the, on the sidelines, don't you? And, Ripple of applause from the from the West Stand. She's always good to get that. I miss don't you miss don't you miss the noise that the West Stand makes? Like ripple of applause when people are warming up or a bit of a grumble when anything else ever happens. You know, it's like like you say, someone like Abdul Osman, they're like if you don't kind of ping the ball forwards, you know, do you remember like the abuse that Paul Trollope used to get? because he used to like pass the balls backwards sometimes because, you know, he wanted to keep possession. And he was like, oh, <laughs> that, that, that kind of, that kind of, you know, grumble from like, I don't know, 100, 200 people. It's just yeah. like, it's a strange symphony of noise, isn't it? Right, yeah. Let's, um, we'll wrap up now, guys. We've been talking for a little bit. I'm just going uh, read out one more from Ian Townsend uh, for the oath. Alan Oman. Legs like oak trees. Now, what more can you say? And he's gone for Danny O'Shea and Richard O'Donnell. We've mentioned a couple of those. Um, but I think there is one we maybe missed that um, oh, one of our Scandinavian listeners came up with. Was it Austin oh, yeah, Janssen? yeah. Go on, oh, Martin. Yeah, yeah just a keeper. I can't remember if he made any appearances, if I'm honest. Might have just sat on the bench, but was um, a goalkeeper of the year in... Um, was it the Swedish or Norwegian league um, in 2019? So, yeah, that was just like, wow, you know, a name you'd almost forgotten, but fair play, fair play to, um, is it Frederick that um, came up with that? Yeah, one of our regular um, listeners in Sweden, Frederick Carlson. Thanks a lot, Frederick. Uh, I don't know any Swedish. I was going to come up with some Swedish, then, but I don't know any. I've just watched a few Scandinavian crime dramas. I think I can speak oh, Swedish. <laughs> 
Just say Ishtad <laughs> or Valanda, you'll probably be all right. Uh, four, four matches in August 2010. Right. Tack Frederick Carson for that one. Um, but apparently, uh, he was used to play for Tottenham, actually. Uh, what's his name? Oscar Janssen. And he had a bit of resurgence in his career, and he's doing well in Sweden. Uh, Martin, do you know who he plays for? Oscar Janssen. It's like, uh, oh, let's have a look. He plays no. for, so <laughs> I, I am Googling this right now. He plays for, duh, 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 duh. it's going to test my Swedish out now. He used to play for Orobro, who are, Andy's probably commentated on a few times, not a bad side. And he plays for IFK Norrköping in Sweden. So, uh, Norrköping, I think it's pronounced. It is, you're right. Norrköping. No, Don't bring the supermarkets into it, please, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, can you think of another goalie that went on to absolutely ridiculously amazing things after playing for Northampton on loan? He played for Sweden. He won a cap for Sweden, according to this. Yeah, can you think wow. of another one? Another another goalie that went on to do amazing things uh, on a global um, level? Well, Adam Smith did amazing on a on Adam Smith did things on a global <laughs> level before he came to us. Many people thought he would have a great career and he never really... Do you remember when we were like really on the, under the cosh financially and there was people at that meeting at the park and going, just send Adam Smith, we can get we can get three million for from a Prem club. Never really happened for him, did it? No, it's kind of, kind of gone back. Andy, Andy Woodman was best friends with Gareth Southgate. That counts. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did you say, Martin? He kind of went backwards. Yeah, I think, I think after... Um, I think after that was one of those... That was one of those ladies in that video who kind of went back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it all ties in now, doesn't it, with what we were talking about earlier on with um, West Ham. But, uh, with the letter yeah. O. <laughs> <laughs> the big O. I don't think anyone reached the big O. Yeah, the actual answer to the goalie I was talking about was um, Ron Robert-Zeeler, who played for Cobblers on loan. Actually didn't play. He was, on, he was at Man United at the time. Didn't play much for us on loan. Went on to be part of the German World Cup squad of 2014, yeah. winning it. Oh, yes, good pretty one. amazing. Yeah, um, we're on O's, so we don't really count, but yeah, it's just a goalie that's done well. Um, let's wrap up now, guys. Talking for a while, I'm off to go and watch uh, a cobbler's mashup porn film, either Belly Legal Brave or Debbie Dust Stewart <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> um, you guys take it easy, and we'll speak again soon. Cheers, all. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers, Cheers guys. Bye. See you later. See you later. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.